Hour two getting underway here on the Monday crew. We've got Chris Dakota's Jack Pesea, Dennis Geisler coming at you from our College Avenue studios. Just got uh, done with a nice conversation with Jerry Carino, Asbury Park Press. We sort of went around the horn. Uh, the unfortunate news about Tom Young. We talked about St. Peter's run uh, in the NCAA tournament going on to the Sweet 16. Also touched on Kevin Willard and Sheen Holloway and uh, the coaching carousel that could be going on there. But... To give us a little bit more insight on St. Peter's and the run that they are on this March, we've got WRSU alum Dom Savino, who's broadcasted plenty of games for St. Peter's over the last couple of years and um, wanted to have him on to give us some insights. Dom, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. What's up, guys? How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, so let's get right into it with this St. Peter's team. This is a team that, if you look at the efficiency metrics, has really gotten better as the season has gone on. They've put together some of their best offensive performances in the postseason, uh, going back to the Metro Atlantic Conference Tournament, uh, and has won you know nine straight now, including these two NCAA tournament games, and now they're in the Sweet 16 for the first time in program history. So just... You know, how, how are they able to put this run together um, from what you've seen of this team uh, in covering them? You know, what made this run possible? You know, it's funny, Chris, because St. Peter's in some ways sort of took the, the Rutgers approach to turning the season around, which was having COVID around the holidays. They were out for more than three weeks. Um, and at that point, St. Peter's was three and six. They had had some really poor losses. Um, they had, had lost to a team like St. Francis Brooklyn, I remember, who had a, a poor year, and they were, I believe, a sub-300 net team at the end of the year. Um, but St. Peter's was out for, it was like 26 days, I think, was the, was the break. Um, all but five guys had to quarantine at some point, either because they got it or they were in contact with somebody who had it. And they came out of this COVID pause with their MAC schedule completely reorganized and basically playing a game every two or three days and then they won like eight of their first 10 games coming out of the pause and I mean they, they hit the ground running I remember they beat Monmouth that first day uh, two days later they played a game against Ryder beat them played Canisius two days later beat them and it just sort of took off from there um, but this is a team and you've probably seen this just from from watching what has been a wild weekend one of the wilder weekends in this school's history uh, it's a very veteran team the nucleus of guys, Casey Nadefo, the, the forward, the three-time MAC Defensive Player of the Year, he's a senior. And a lot of these guys, Doug Eddard and the Mustache, Daryl Banks, the Drame Twins, they're all juniors. And so they've played together for a while, and I think the time off the court helped them rediscover how to, how to mesh again. They were able to get it to click once again. Um, and it was just sort of off and running from there. They were three and six uh, going into that COVID pause. Since then, including their postseason games, they are eighteen and five. Uh, that, that includes conference play, postseason, conference tournament, and then the two NCAA tournament wins. Looking at the uh, advanced metrics, Bartorvik has their defense in the last ten games as eighth most efficient defense in the country. Uh, just crunch the numbers real quick here, and on their COVID pause, they were top thirty. Uh, in defensive efficiency since January 14th when they came back from that uh, COVID pause. How is this team able to be so stringent defensively? Yeah, they're a root canal to try to deal with uh, defensively because it, you know, it emanates from Shaheen Holloway all the way down to the team, right? They're high energy. 
not every single one of these guys is big and, and massive, as, as Shaheen mentioned in the, the post-game quote that sort of made the rounds about, you know, them not being the biggest or, the, or whatever, but, you know, not being able to get out-muscled or out-tough. Um, but they just play at such a high intensity, um, you know, from 1 to 12. And that also helps, too. They have a, a deep rotation. Shaheen Holloway routinely will, would play 12 guys when they were in regular season play. And you sort of shrunk the rotation a little bit. But you've got a big rotation. You've got a bunch of guys who have bought in. Uh, and who are athletic and are willing to get in your grill and make your life miserable. Um, and like I said, it's been like that for these guys for the entire time that they've played for Shaheen Holloway. And so you've got dudes who are bought in, who have a chip on their shoulder, who don't mind making your life miserable on the court. Um, and they've, they've got the experience together from three years of playing together. Um, and it's just all, also a, sort of boils down to what is one of the more miserable defenses to deal with uh, in the country. I remember there was a game, this was towards the end of the, the MAC regular season. This is how I knew things were going well. They were playing a home game against Niagara, um, who at that point in the season um, had had some ups and some downs, but had two of the top scorers in the conference. And St. Peter's held them to 36 points. Niagara shot like 20% from the floor. They looked uncomfortable from the moment the game started. Um, and that was just sort of the, the last little inkling that I needed that this team could go on a run, that things were we're ready to roll because it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's, it's below, like the sisters of the poor to hold a team to 36 points for 40 minutes. is not easy to do. And they did that. Hey Dom, Jack Pasea here. Um, I wanted to talk about the roster for St. Peter's. Um, obviously Doug Eddard has gotten a lot of the national attention because of how he's played in the first two NCAA tournament games. I mean, he's had big shot after big shot against Kentucky, of course, and then had a big shot at the end of the Murray State game. But in your opinion, who is the most important player for St. Peter's? And then also um, to add on to that, um, I was saying at the beginning of the show, I think this team really embodies Shaheen Holloway's personality and his confidence that he exudes on the bench. Do you, I would ask also if you agree with that statement, do you think Shaheen Holloway is, and his confidence is really important into making what St. Peter's has been able to do? I think it is one of the most important reasons why they've gotten to this point, Jack. Um, because, and, and again, this, this story is, has, played out in the last couple of days for the nation to see, but I, you know, I've got the front row seat for it for three years now. The difference between a team like St. Peter's, a program like St. Peter's, and a program like Kentucky is significant in terms of funding, in terms of the amount of national attention. Uh, you know, I, in a different non-sports role, one of the jobs that I have, I was on live this morning with a radio station out in Missouri for something that was completely unrelated to Sports, but the host talking up a little bit about St. Peter's because he was a Kentucky alum, and he told me initially that you know that, that there's a, a town near where he is in St. Louis that is called St. Peter's, and he initially thought that the opponent that his alma mater was playing was a community college from the local town near St. Louis. Like the difference between a, a St. Peter's team and a Kentucky team that lives on national television is vast. So in order to make up that discrepancy, you need to have the bravado that a guy like Shaheen Holloway has and the confidence that, you know, we are a 15 seed. Kentucky is a two seed who has, you know, a whole rotation basically of lottery picks. 
and we can go toe-to-toe with them, and we can beat them. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, and it's sort of infectious. I felt the same way going into that game. Even though St. Peter's, you know, whatever you want to say about on paper or, or the funding or whatever else about the two programs, I thought they could win the game because they're a miserable team to play against because they're so hard-nosed, they're so high-energy, and they've, they've got talent, even though they aren't on TV every day like Kentucky is. Um, and to sort of further that point, to answer your second question, the most valuable guy on this team is Casey Nendefro. Now, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of really good players. You mentioned Doug Eddard. Daryl Banks is their top scorer. He's had a great year. Matt Lee, the point guard, the Drame twins. Um, their two freshmen, Clarence Rupert and uh, Juju Murray, who have really developed as the year's gone on. But, you know, Nendefro is the three-time reigning Max Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, he's among the best shot blockers in the country. Leads the program all time in, in shots blocked and has the, the career record and the season record and the games record for block shots. And his Casey Nadefo is sort of an extension of Shane Holloway on the court. And also, he plays with that same sort of bravado and, and swagger and confidence. And you need that. I mean, Casey Nadefo stands six foot seven, I think it's a buck 95, which is not the typical size. For a shot blocker, you think seven foot, 250 maybe. But he's able to go toe to toe with all the big dudes uh, because he plays confident and he's so, he plays at such a high rate and has such a high motor, as you hear coaches say all the time, that it makes no difference. And that's why he's had a, a great year and a big reason why their defense works so well is it has Ndefo in the middle. To push it forward to this upcoming weekend, they'll be playing against Purdue. You have a bit of uh, knowledge about both teams, obviously, uh, broadcasting St. Peter's and then being a fan of Rutgers, having played against Purdue twice this season. How do you see that matchup? Do you think that (laughs) St. Peter's still has a uh, potential chance to push further in this tournament? Uh, How do you think these two teams match up against each other? Yeah, I'll be honest. I think this is the toughest of the three opponents. And I say that even knowing that Spence, Kentucky was a two and, and at Purdue was a three um, because of all of the talent in various facets that Purdue has. And like you said, you know, we've gotten to see it. Um, you've got the, the twin centers with Travion Williams and Zach Eady. I'm very curious to see how Shaheen Holloway handles that because again, Casey Defo is six, seven. Zach Eady is seven foot four. Does Casey Nadefo get six on Zach Eady? I mean, how is he going to make up nine inches worth of difference, right? Now, St. Peter's does have two like traditional centers on the roster. Clarence Rupert has been a guy who's been starting as of late, and Omar Dihame is a little bit bigger, um, had started for a lot of the year. Um, I don't think St. Peter's at all this year has ever gone with a big lineup with Nadefo and Rupert and Dihame on the floor. But this could be the sort of game where, at least in spurts, you could see that. To just, just to try to counteract Purdue and all the size that it has. Um, you know, it's, it's well documented how good Jaden Ivey is and how deserving he is of all the NBA recognition and, and attention that he has gotten. I think St. Peter's will be able to handle them. They've got the ability to handle him, right? Just whether it's Nadefo as a bigger guy or putting one of the guards on him, they can handle that. Uh, and then you have a guy like Sasha Stefanovic who can just drill threes from anywhere and doesn't need a lot of space to get it off, right? So Purdue is a challenging task because you've got the all-around star, you've got the three-point shooters, and you've got the bigs, and it all boils down to 
so many different things you've got to try to handle at one time. Now, Purdue slipped up this year. I know they've had some some poor games, but this is, I definitely think, the, the toughest of the three opponents for St. Peter's so far. Speaking with Dom Savino, ESPN Plus broadcaster for St. Peter's basketball, WRSU alum, and Big Ten Plus uh, broadcaster. Uh, just, I wanted to shift gears a little bit away from St. Peter's, uh, Dom, to, to a project that you were a part of and that we're going to be showcasing again next Monday. Uh, five years ago was the 35th anniversary of the Rutgers Women's Basketball AIAW National Championship game. Uh, you and Mike Pavlichko worked on an audio documentary and a rebroadcast of that game that you guys aired five years ago. We're going to re-air that next Monday at this time slot, 6 p.m., uh, and then we're going to have a live special nightline uh, with Teresa Grants and with uh, several players from that team. Dom, just you know, if you want to reflect on you know what that project was like then, and you know what listeners can look forward to next Monday. Yeah, it's been really cool to to be a part of this and and see what is now five years worth of work, Chris. Uh, like you said, I mean, it started when I was a junior in college. Uh, now I'm four years removed from, from Rutgers and from RSU, which is wild. Um, but it's been really cool to see. Um, and it is a very deserving story for folks who may not know a ton about the story. Uh, hopefully you'll be with us next Monday to, to listen to it. Um, but it's about the 1982 Rutgers women's basketball team that won the final AIAW national championship. And it was the, 1982 was the one year where the AIAW and the NCAA had sort of dueling national championships. Uh, the AIAW was this organization in the 70s and the early 80s that sponsored women's sports, sponsored women's, champions, uh, women's championships at the collegiate level at a time when the NCAA didn't do that. You know, until 1982, there was no NCAA women's basketball tournament. It was just the guys. Uh, the AIAW handled that. Um, and so they overlapped for one year. Um, and the work that I've gotten to do and the work that, that – some of the alums from WRSU have gone on to produce this at a bigger scale on the, the video documentary that is going to come out in the fall um, tells the story of this team that has not quite gotten its due, right? I mean, imagine there being dueling, I imagine there being a Super Bowl and a, a world championship in the same year, right? Um, and the world championship might not quite get the same amount of love that the Super Bowl champion gets, right? And that's sort of the case with this Rutgers team, which is among the best team in Rutgers athletics history in terms of how successful it was and all the great stories around this team. Um, and so, as you said, it's been a, a, a story that's five years in the telling. It's going to be the 40th anniversary of this team in just a little bit, um, 40th anniversary of their championship. Um, and it's just been really cool to get to tell their story, the story of this team, for a lot of people who don't really know about them, you know, maybe they, they've heard some of the names from the folks on the team, Teresa Grenz, the head coach, June Okowski, or the Coyle Twins, or uh, Chris Daly, who's a longtime associate head coach at UConn under Gino Oriema. Um, but it's cool to get to tell their stories for a new generation of Rutgers fans, who, a, lot of, a lot of whom have not heard it before. And again, that's next Monday, starting at 6. We're going to rebroadcast uh, the audio documentary and the game itself. Then we'll have a special nightline where everyone can call in and uh, give their thoughts on you know that team, the legacy they left behind, what they were able to accomplish, and all that good stuff. Dom, we're going to let you go. I know you had a long day um, you know, between working for Compass and now coming on us, so we appreciate you spending the time and um, have a good one. I'm looking forward to having you in here next Monday. 
Chris. Always a pleasure. Jack, Dennis, good talking to you guys. Have a good show.